Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. My... Y'all are setting the bar too high, okay? Can we wait? (laughs) Uh, My name is Jessica Stafford. I'm the Director of Family Ministries here at Community of Hope. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Um, Pastor Dale had a busy week of board meetings at Asbury Seminary, and so he got to take a weekend off. But he texted me this morning to make sure I tell you he will be here next weekend and he cannot wait. So he will be back. And in the meantime, I have the privilege of speaking to you this morning. And before we get started, can we just give the band a hand for that man? Beth said, y'all showed up today. Good job. Um, And how about that video, Craig and Walter? That's good stuff, right? I think that video just highlights like why we do the summer discussion series each summer. You know, we always plan during the summer to plan something that is an easy invite, a low stress environment for you to invite friends or neighbors or coworkers or whoever it is into a place where it's a safe place to express doubts and ask questions and sit around a table and learn a little bit. So this summer, our series will be called Who Needs God? It's an Andy Stanley series, which we always love. And there's just going to be table discussions. It's six weeks long, um, starting at the end of June on both campuses. And we want to tell you now so you can start thinking about who you're going to invite to come with you. Because this series isn't just for those of us who are already in church and already have a great faith in God, but for those who we want to bring in and help experience um, what we know. So start thinking about that. And remember, hopefully some of y'all are getting to travel some this summer. And so even though it's a six-week series, you don't have to commit to coming every week. That's another great thing. You can kind of pop in and out as you're able to. So start thinking about who you can invite to come join us at Who Needs God. So we are in the middle of a series now called Mistaken Identity, and we have been talking about these false perceptions of God that many of us carry around with us. Um, I have really enjoyed this series. I think it's been super important, and it's been interesting because I've been thinking about how we may not think we believe a certain thing about God, but then sometimes the way that we interact with him or the way that we um, face certain situations in our lives may lend itself to show we actually do have this weird idea about him. And I think it particularly comes out in tough situations, right? So when my mom passed away this summer, so many well-meaning people said things to me that were just not true about God. Like I remember someone said, oh, she's just, she completed all of her good works on the earth. And so he took her home to heaven. And like, that's, that's just not true. (laughs) That's not scriptural. But Sometimes people try to comfort us or we try to comfort ourselves or understand something that's hard to understand. And we end up with, as Pastor Dale says, all these junk drawer pieces of our faith, right? We take all these little mismatched pieces, stick them in there. And then when something hard happens and we pull them all out, we find that nothing fits and nothing works. So that's what this series is about, is about taking out all the pieces from the junk drawer that we may be carrying around with us. And then looking at Jesus to help us sort out who God actually is. Um, So far, we have talked about bodyguard God, 
which is the false assumption that God will protect us from anything bad happening to us. Um, We've talked about genie in a bottle God, where he is just around to answer our wishes, (laughs) to grant our requests. We've talked about angry God last week where he just wants to smite you for whatever you're doing wrong. And we've also talked about feel good God, that false idea that we should just feel happy and like we're singing with the bluebirds all the time. Um, and so throughout this series, we have used Hebrews 1.3 to kind of be the filter through which we look at these ideas of God and point us to Jesus. So as we jump in, let's read Hebrews 1.3 together. It'll be up on the screens. Let's read it together. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So I just love that phrase, the sun is the exact representation of God. And so we look at Jesus to see who God is. Um, And if you've missed any of those previous weeks that I kind of just briefly mentioned, I really highly recommend to you to go back to the YouTube channel or the podcast and make sure you catch up up on them or share them with a friend that it may benefit because they're very important. Um, So we are going to jump into this week's topic, but before we do that, let's pray together. Um, Father God, I am so grateful that you are a God who wants us to know you. You're a God who isn't just sitting far in some cosmological office watching us, but who wants to draw near to us in relationship, who wants to know us and wants us to know you. So Lord, I pray today that you would just be dismantling any of those pieces we're carrying around that are false about who you are. Anything we've picked up along the way in tough situations, God, just clear them from our hearts. Help us today, Lord, to just hear what you have for us, open our hearts and our minds, take away any distractions, um, and just draw us near to you through the power of your spirit. And Lord, let every word that comes out of my mouth today be not mine, but yours. Love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about bad boss God. So when we when Trevor first asked me to preach this weekend, he said that the team wasn't quite sure yet which version of God they were going to be talking about. So he wanted to bring the choices to me and see if there was one I felt like I could relate to more easily. So he started telling me <laughs> started telling me about the first one, and then he started talking about bad boss God. Um, he said that bad boss God is for people who typically have a strong inner critic. He said they have a drive for perfectionism. They might be a type A, for you Enneagram people out there, a type one person who are doers and love a good checklist. You know, I just looked at him and I said, I know nothing about that. I know nothing about a bad boss God. Sorry. So um, who is a bad boss God? Oh, and before I get to that, My daughter for Mother's Day did write me an acrostic poem, and the O said organized. So that'll just give you a little insight into me. Um, So who is Bad Boss God? Bad Boss God is not just our lovable, annoying, but incompetent boss, like our most famous TV boss probably right now, right? Michael Scott. (laughs) 
Michael Scott is not what we're picturing when we talk about bad boss God. We are talking about the cruel God who is never pleased with you. So more like Pharaoh demanding more bricks, make more bricks, even without straw. We're talking about from Matilda, headmistress Trunchbull, who lifts children up when they make mistakes and who can't stand a single ounce of bad behavior, right? We are talking about um, Miranda Priestley from Devil Wears Prada, who demands her underlings have only perfection and know exactly what she wants all the time. And we're even talking about Darth Vader. I threw this one in for my husband. (laughs) Who is just plain evil and mean, right? This is our idea of who Darth Vader is, the God, or who bad boss God is. The God you picture breathing down your neck, watching everything you do, asking for your productivity report at the end of every day. You know, how many minutes did you read your Bible today? How long did you pray? How many people did you feed? How much money did you give? And just always asking you what you've done. So I said, I like a good checklist. I admit it. Um, So if you relate to a bad boss, God, here's a little checklist for you. You feel like you're always doing things wrong. You are constantly seeking his approval. You never, ever feel like you are enough. You believe he cares more about what you do than who you are, and you think he's just waiting for you to make a mistake. So if you relate to that, you may be buying into pieces of this bad boss God. So what is the problematic idea of that? Remember in this series, we're talking about our false view of God, the problematic idea, a disclaimer, and then we'll get to the truth. So the problematic idea with bad boss God is that we believe that we have to work to prove ourselves to God. Now, many people have this as their primary identity of God. And in case you haven't already caught on, this was me, is me some days. Um, especially in the earlier days of my faith, like especially in college, I was always thinking about, well, what do I need to do to show God I love him? How do I need to show him that I'm valuable enough? All of these things. And even some days now, you know, I love that song we just sang that says I have to preach to my fear and preach to my doubt. There are days when I have to preach to myself and remind myself of who God is, and that he is not this bad boss God. So what's the problem with that? If you believe in this bad boss God, number one, you're going to end up exhausted and eventually just quit trying, right? It was interesting when I was prepping for this message, I was reading through some of my old journals from college. So I love to write and I have journals like from high school through now. And it's interesting because I can look back through them and kind of get a snapshot of what my relationship with God was like during that time period. So in college, which I think was really when I started to take ownership of my faith, um, I would I started reading through and I would have like three weeks of daily entries of God reading scripture and praying. And then there'd be like a month until the next entry. And that first entry back would be this whole long litany of apologies. And I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I'll do better this time. I promise this time I'll make sure I pray every day. I'll make sure I read every day. Then, you know, there'd be a couple weeks of the daily entries and then another month off. And it would just cycle through like that. And eventually, if that continues, we just quit, right? It's exhausted to feel like you have to keep proving yourself all of the time. The other danger is that you may get stuck in this servant phase in how you relate to God and never move past it into a deeper relationship, You know, um, this is particularly seen like with a lot of maybe what you think of like as religious people, 
The Pharisees, for example, they followed the law to the letter, right? They dotted all the I's, they crossed all the T's, they tithed on their herbs, for goodness sake. Like, can you imagine cutting a tenth of the basil leaves off of your garden and giving it to God? So they were so good at the doing, 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 but they missed so much. Maybe you've had a not great experience with this in church where you were somewhere that was very legalistic or encountered a person who was very fundamentalist and that we must do all of these things to be acceptable to God. Um, Back in January, we did a sermon series called Get Your Life Back, and John Eldridge and his book by that same title talked about the Christian experience and kind of how people move through it as they grow, and he talked about this faithful servant's stage as a place that many people get stuck. He said this, faithful servants do not enjoy a regular experience of deep intimacy with God. They rarely, if ever, hear him speak to them personally. They are not benefiting from the restoration of their souls. Inner healing would not be part of their experience. They are faithful servants, but they're pretty much stuck there. And he says, after we've tried the faithful servant stage for a while, our heart cries out for something more. And at some point, our soul either says, I'm out of here, and we eject from the program, or we seek a deeper experience. When you feel like you have to prove yourself to God, you end up feeling inadequate, unworthy, frustrated. You know, I think for a lot of my early faith, I I felt like I didn't really think God liked me all that much. He just wanted to make sure I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Okay, but what's the disclaimer in this? Remember, because the danger of the problematic idea is really that there is a kernel of truth in it. So our disclaimer today, what we are not saying is we are not saying that God doesn't expect us to work, right? Good work should naturally flow from a living faith. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, addresses this specifically and very clearly in his letter. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, here's what James says. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Here's the clincher. He says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So we can see from James there that faith that is merely intellectual or faith that claims to believe but has no works is no better than the faith of the demons. You know, Jesus even tells us that we are going to be judged by how we treat the poor. He says we'll be judged on judgment day by how we have fed the hungry, how we have cared for the poor, how we have taken care of the sick, or visited those in prison. He is very clear that we need to do works. But works need to accompany our faith. Then what is the cure for this perfectionistic heart or in this idea of this bad boss God? It's always to look at Jesus and his grace. So remember, this is what we're investigating today. Is God like that bad boss demanding that we work to prove ourselves? 
And we are going to be reading from one of Paul's letters to the Ephesians today. Um, He wrote this to the church in Ephesus from a prison cell in Rome, which is where he did most of his writing. He's a very prolific prisoner. Um, But the church in Ephesus was mainly Gentile believers, so like a lot of us, and he was addressing some of this today. So we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay. So as we get into the message, I want to give you like a foundational phrase that everything's building upon. Okay. And if you're about to check out and like start making your grocery list in your head, this is the cliff notes. This is the one you need to know. (laughs) Okay, because of the grace of Jesus. This is where we find the cure for bad boss, God. This is where we find the cure for those of us who are prone to striving because of the grace of Jesus. So because of the grace of Jesus, I have nothing to prove to God. Let's look again at verses 8 and 9 from the passage we just read. Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We have nothing to prove to God because we are saved by grace as a gift of God. And I like how Paul makes it super clear for those of us who are like, yeah, but what about, he says, not by works so that no one can boast. He knows the human tendency towards pride and towards boasting and towards wanting to earn things. So he spells it out for us, maybe for me. You know, we have nothing to prove to God because nothing I have to offer him would ever be close to worthy enough. My most selfless, most righteous, most self-sacrificing act is not anywhere near good enough to prove to match the goodness of our perfect, holy God. You know, it says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Um, Paul says in Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We have nothing to prove because we have nothing to bring. And yet, God still saved us. Um, Thomas Oden, who is an American theologian, wrote about it this way. He says, the message of justification is difficult to accept because it seems too good to be true. It says, stop trying to justify yourself. 
You do not need to. There is no way to buy or deserve God's love or acceptance. You are already being offered God's love on the cross without passing any tests. The word of the cross is not, I will love you if you jump this hoop. But while we were yet helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So also because of the grace of Jesus, we don't have to prove ourselves, but we can also know that we are worthy of God's love. You know, when I find myself falling into that trap of bad boss God, then I start to think I'm not worthy of his love because I'm not doing enough things or the right things or as many things as that person over there. And I just, I think he's disappointed with me. And then I find myself withdrawing, not wanting to spend time with him because of how I think he feels about me. But in verse 10 of our chapter, um, Paul says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the New Living Translation of that verse says, for we are God's masterpiece. Just let that sink in for a second. The God who made the Rocky Mountains, the Grand Canyon, the depths of the ocean, knows the number of stars in the sky, calls you his masterpiece. You know, we are worthy of God's love just on the basis that he created us. We are created in his image. We see in Genesis that he created man and woman in his own image. We bear the image of God. And you know, as he's creating the earth and he makes the fish and the plants and the sky and the sun and all the things, each day he says, it was, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then on the day he creates people, he says, and it was very good. And he says that about each of us now, that we are very good. And that has nothing to do with what we do. It's our identity as a son or daughter of the king that makes us worthy to be loved. You know, I heard a Bible teacher once say, you have to separate your who from your do, <laughs> right? So what matters is whose you are, not what you do's. <laughs> <laughs> Our identity is not found in what we do. Um, you know, I think I used to think that I had to be a certain kind of Christian to be loved by God or for him to, to think I was valuable. You know, I thought it was probably the people who raised their hands higher during worship, who were on mission across seas, who prayed longer and more eloquently, you know, anything else that the other people were doing that I wasn't. And then a few years ago um, on staff, we went to a conference and Christy Knuckles, who's a Christian singer and songwriter, she led worship one night and she told this story um, about a time that she was leading worship at a passion conference, which if you're not familiar with, is this huge conference, like it was in a football stadium. So tens of thousands of people in the stadium and she's in the center of the field on a stage. And she said she was about to step out into the spotlight to lead worship. And she said she just felt this wave of unworthiness. And then she said she felt God give her this image of herself as a seven or eight-year-old little girl. She was singing to herself in the mirror, you know, using one of those plastic microphones that echoes your own voice back to you. <laughs> she was singing one of her favorite praise songs to herself in the mirror. And she said she felt God tell her in that moment that he loved her 
just as much in that moment when she was singing to herself in the mirror as he did now when she was about to lead tens and thousands of people in his worship. That she was just as valuable, just as loved. Nothing she had done had changed or increased that. And you know, that that story really impacted me and it was a subtle shift, but I started to believe that God loves me because of who I am and not because of what I do for him. And when you really believe that, then we get to move into this next stage of our relationship with him, where we believe that we are not employees, but we are children of God. You know, the hardest part, the most dangerous part of this bad boss God lie is that we miss out on the deep relationship God intends to have with each of us. Here's what Paul says our relationship with God actually looks like in Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Seated with Jesus, you guys. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is what God wants for us. Can you picture that? Seated with Jesus? seen through his blood that we are perfect and holy like him, the only person to have ever walked on this earth sinless and holy and perfect obedience to the Father. We're seated with Jesus. That just blows my mind. And Paul wrote it even more clearly in a letter to the Galatian church when he said, so you are no longer a slave. This is Galatians 4, 7. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We are God's children. We are heirs to the kingdom. We are seated with Jesus in heaven and God wants to lavish his love upon us. C.S. Lewis Lewis put it this way, God doesn't want something from us. He simply wants us. Um, Most of you know I have two girls, five and eight, Charlie and Evelyn. And the other day I was reading this challenge to parents, and it talked about being careful to notice your facial expressions when your children enter the room or when your children want your attention, Right, so what do you do when your kids enter the room? Do you look up from your phone? Do you act annoyed? Do you say, why are you giving me an, asking for another snack? Did you just have a snack? Is that just my house? <laughs> but how do we look at our kids and welcome them into our presence? And as I thought about that, you know, I thought, what does God's face look like when I enter his presence? Is he annoyed? Is he too busy working on world hunger to talk to me? Is he disappointed? You know, what does his face look like? And then I remembered um, this verse that has always been one of my favorites. Like since eighth grade Jessica accepted Jesus, I have loved this verse. And it's Zephaniah three seventeen b And here's what it says. It says, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So when I enter God's presence, when you enter God's presence, he delights in us. He is so glad that we have come to form a relationship with with him, to pray to him, to just sit in his presence. And I think, you know, I think his eyes twinkle. (laughs) 
I think they light up because we are one of his most precious children. And I think sometimes, I think maybe his face mirrors ours. If we're grieving, I think he's grieving too. You know, I think he is just so glad that we have entered his presence. You know, as we were talking about this, um, Pastor Trevor's over at the East Campus, and we were talking about this idea of God's face. And we realized as we talked about it that it's throughout Scripture, the idea of God's face. And we hadn't even really realized it until we got to this point. Paul talks about it in a letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, listen to this, displayed in the face of Christ. It's what we said at the beginning, right? It's what we said each week. God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. So this is it. This is where we come to lose those false ideas about who God is. This is where we can shed that idea of bad boss God who just wants more and more and perfection from you. Like you can never make him happy. Because if you stop striving long enough, look up from your life and your works long enough to look at the face of Jesus, you will never see him disappointed with you. You'll never see him irritated with you. You will only see him delighted in you, welcoming you into his presence. So in a moment here, we're going to take some time. And during that time, I just want to invite you. I want you to ask God to show you his face. And I don't want that to feel weird. You don't have to be like, well, we don't really know what God looks like. I know. But imagine just the features of his face, the impression you get when you look at the face of God and ask him what he thinks of you. Put aside those ideas, those lies, those pieces of junk to our faith you've picked up along the way and ask God to show you his face and ask him to show you what he thinks of you. And if you've never entered the presence of God, if you've never accepted the grace of Jesus that enables us to do that, why not do that today? He wants all of his children to come into a relationship with him. So let's pray first, and we'll take some time to do that. Father God, thank you for your face, Lord, that is always turned towards us. Thank you for accepting us into your presence through the blood of Jesus and seeing us as perfect in him. Thank you for delighting in us, singing over us, God. Just because you love us, just because you created us to be your children, not through any actions or earning of our own. God, if there are those here who haven't ever accepted the grace of Jesus to become a child of God, I just pray they would have the courage to do that now. And if that's you, it's simple. There aren't any magic words. Just tell God you're sorry. Ask him to forgive your sins to forgive your desire to be in control of your own life and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. 
it's that simple. He wants you to come to him, to be his child, to love you unconditionally. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Come in your spirit now and do in us what you want to do. really simple. Just what we just did. Take some time this week to do that. And I'm not feeding into your bad boss, God. I'm not giving you a number of times, a number of minutes, any of that. Just take some time to ask God who he sees you as and to show you his face when he looks at you. So now as we go, um, I want to just pray this over you, this prayer that God commanded Moses and Aaron to bless the Israelites with. I thought it was so fitting. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So go in that this week. We'll see you next Sunday.